0: Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from Epicos Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. For more information about Epicos, please visit epicos.org. I am the campus pastor over at our east side campus. And uh, if I haven't met you yet, um, please come grab me after service. I'd love to get to talk to you and get to know more about your story. Um, But thanks for welcoming me here to West Allis. We are going to be in the book of Colossians here today. So if you have a Bible, Grab it. Open it up to the Book of Colossians. If you don't have one, there should be one um, around you in a seat back in front of you, or you can pull it up on your smartphone. We're going to be looking at that text here today. Um, but I want to um, I want to just open us up here with a quick question. A question. What do you think about? What do you think about? Um, in a couple of moments, I'm going to give us some time to just jot down what has consumed and captivated our our minds this week? Um, what's been those moments that when you're driving down the road and your mind's on autopilot and you're like, oh, where'd the last three miles go? Because I was thinking about something so in depthly. Or when you were trying to go to bed here um, this week and you couldn't get any sleep because your mind didn't realize it was time bedtime <laughs> and it kept rolling and rolling and rolling and thinking about something. Was there anything this week that particularly came to your mind a lot, even right now? as we're in this space and in this place. I'm going to give you 30 seconds to write down, jot down your thoughts and ideas. Um, you can grab your study guide. There's a blank page for you to do that there, also in your bulletin. Um, but just jot down your thoughts that you've had this week and starting, 30 seconds starting now. Give you a couple more seconds to jot down those final thoughts. Three, two, one. Time. Great. All right. Look at that list that you just wrote out. Look at those some of those things that you thought about this week. How do they make you feel? Positive? Negative? A little bit of both? How do you think those thoughts in your mind came about? Did you do anything with those thoughts? Did they drive you to any sort of actions this week? Or are they driving you to any actions this week? See, contrary to the modern West, we are not just brains on a stick, but no, our thoughts, they're not independent from us, they are actually a part of us as embodied people. They have an origin, they have a source, they even form us and drive us into action in the person that we are becoming. John Mark Comer, an author um, about spiritual formation, uh, says this in one of his books, Live No Lies. He says, everything we allow into our minds has an effect on our souls, for good or for evil. If you don't believe me, Go do a little research on neurobiology, specifically how what we see affects our mirror neurons and how thoughts enter the mind, creating neural pathways in our brains, which create DNA proteins in our nervous systems, which are then disseminated throughout our bodies and become part of us. Synopsis, what we give our attention to will shape the persons we become, what we think about we become. Here's the main idea that I want for us to really focus on here today, and that is the thinking of this age will rob us of the joy found in Jesus the Messiah. You can write that down in your notes. The thinking of this age, or the philosophy as Paul put, puts it, will rob us or capture us from the joy that's found in Jesus the Messiah. As you write that down, I'm just going to recap us of where we've come from here from last week. So last week we talked about this idea in verse 6 of being rooted and built up in Jesus. These two verses really are the message of the entire letter of Colossians. Be rooted and built up in Jesus. Go back to your faith. Just as you receive Jesus by grace, through faith, continue to walk in him. And look to Jesus to fulfill all your spiritual needs that you have in this life. So we're going to continue that thought here today and delve more into how do we root ourselves in Jesus? How do we build up our faith in Jesus? And we're going to start by looking at Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Read it with me. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to the Messiah or Christ. Paul starts out this section of this letter by saying a warning. And his warning is, don't be captured by the world. A warning to not be captured by the world. Notice this aggressive language that you see in verse 8. Look at it. See to it that, warning, 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 that no one takes you captive. That word takes you captive there means to rob, to steal, or to plunder. The illustration in, in our mind that, that Paul wants for us to think about is just like an army coming in and, and trying to, to capture a city. They, they sack it, they plunder it, they take away prisoners and steal them away from that city. And that's the image that Paul says. Don't be captive. Don't be taken captive. Don't be robbed away. How are these individuals being captured? Through philosophy and empty deceit. Through philosophy and empty deceit. Now philosophy is just a word that means the love of wisdom. And I think what Paul is keying in on here is those that, that value wisdom above all else. And including value wisdom above Faith in relationship to Jesus. And he says it's also empty deceit, which means hollow thinking that's meant to lead you astray deceitfully. So, how is this philosophy and this emptiness further described here in verse 8? He says it's rooted in what? From human tradition. So according to Paul, philosophy and the things in this world that will draw us away from relationship to Jesus are just another human system. And they're not rooted in, in God or Jesus, our Savior and Messiah. And he further goes on to say that they are according to elemental spirits or elemental spirits of the world. And depending on your Bible translation... That phrase, elemental spirits of the world, might be translated a little bit differently. And there's some nuance there. And that just shows us that in the original language, this is a very difficult word to translate. What is meant? It's a very rare word that's not used very often. But what does Paul mean by elemental spirits of the world? And I'm going to give you three possible definitions. Three possible ways this could be translated. The first one is that Paul is referring to elemental spiritual forces or spiritual powers at work in the world. So Paul would be saying, behind every deceptive, empty thought that you experience throughout the day, there is a spiritual force that is at work behind the scenes. Now, in our modern West, we are more materialistic. We are more driven to science, and we kind of reject any idea of spiritualness. But in our scriptures, they actually point to a spiritual realm beyond our own. Um, If we believe in Jesus... It says that God's spirit dwells within us. So we need to be aware of the spiritual realm. But that does not mean give our lives in, in worship to lesser spiritual beings. The only one that we are to give our lives into worship to is Jesus himself. And so that's what Paul could be saying in this moment. Another way is that Paul could be saying that elemental, spiritual, spiritual, or elemental spirits of this world are the basic components of the universe. The word element would be used in like pagan or false worship where they worship the elemental um, minerals and materials that made up this universe. And this, this, this would be Paul interacting with those being led astray by pagan worship of that day which worshiped these materials and these elements of this day and age and, and are, are being even led away by the leading thinking of the time that Paul could be saying here and and that time would have been pagan worship or adding just Jesus to being one of many gods and so that could be at play here and a third way that this could be translated is foundational religious requirements or the Jewish tradition linking back to their foundation in Judaism and the rituals and building blocks of their faith looking to these traditions and rituals and as their salvation is deceptive it's hollow and as Paul says, it's actually foolish and draws you away from true joy that can be found in Jesus. And you might be asking, okay, there's a three, three options. Here's a multiple choice test. What's the right answer? And I do not know. <laughs> okay? I'm going to humbly just say and admit that I don't know what's the right answer. And you know what? That's Okay? I've interacted with many different scholars on this topic and they they land in different areas. That's where I got these three options from. I talked with people here at Epicos on staff just trying to wrestle through this. And we, we saw the merit in all these, in all three of these ideas and options. And many scholars more smart than I am think differently on this matter. And that's okay. I myself have wrestled with it over this week. The point is... And I don't think, whatever you decide, the main point here that Paul is saying is that anything that's not according to the Messiah, not according to Jesus, we need to be careful of. We need to be careful of. That's the main point, that they're not according to the Messiah Jesus. So as you go through life, you are going to encounter many different thinking in philosophy, in ideology, in your life that's not rooted in Jesus. And we need to treat that as suspect. Don't just give your life passively to the next popular opinion that comes across your way. So I'm not saying I'm not saying to isolate yourself from culture, from intellect, even science. But what I am saying is everything you encounter in this world bring back to that which you're rooted in, and that is the gospel of Jesus. Bring everything back to what we know about Jesus and his way of viewing the world and show that the best way that we can find what Jesus how Jesus viewed this world is through the scriptures and through the scriptures that he himself even meditated on. And when you begin to root yourself in him, you're going to find joy. But if you begin to root yourself in anything outside of Jesus, you're going to be robbed. You're going to be captured from the joy that's truly found in him. Jesus is fully God, and any other philosophy is foolish and deceitful in comparison. In Jesus our Messiah, we have the wealth, or as, as Paul says in chapter 2, verse 3, the treasure of wisdom and knowledge. And we have all that we need in life to be deeply fulfilled. And what I think Paul is actually doing, he's, he's very artfully talking about two different kinds of people. He's interacting with those that think that following Jesus is limited to a set of rules and traditions. And if I just do these good things, I'll have blessing in life. That's just a modified idea of, of karma in the East, Eastern traditions, right? This is the modified idea. If I do good, I'll bring good vibes into this universe. And that's what people have um, relegated Jesus' worship to. Is that I just do these good things and good things are going to happen? But there's also the other side of things, of saying maybe he's talking to those that are um, concluding that you know Jesus is good to start out with, but you know I need to go a little bit deeper. I need a little bit more than Jesus in my life. And they start engaging in the philosophy of this day to say that this is deeper, the deeper thinking or a higher plane of intellect. And, and Paul is saying to those people in in Corinth or in Colossae, hey, don't. Don't allow yourself to be captured by this world. Don't allow yourself to be drawn away from this world. Continue to root yourself in your faith in Jesus. And you might be saying, okay, that's what it means to the Colossian church back then over 2,000 years ago. What does this mean to me here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, the year 2022? Let me just walk you through a day in our life. You might not think these things really matter to us, but let me just walk you through an average day in our lives. I got some of these these ideas from my own personal walk and faith journey and then also talking with others over these last couple weeks. And this is what we face day in and day out. And let me see if this is just something that you resonate with at all. Say tonight you, you go to bed and you're gonna be starting your work week off or your school week off here Monday morning. Let's be honest, that alarm clock's gonna go off and you're gonna hit the snooze a couple of times, all right? You're gonna hit the snooze a couple of times on that alarm. Then all of a sudden, eventually, you're going to wake up. What's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? of Americans have a smartphone beside their bed, and 75% of Americans check the smartphone and their notifications every morning. And those notifications are triggered as an algorithm for you to press them to get you to use their app. And many, many notifications are rooted in social media, and social media apps. And so many, many Americans do actually check social media as the first thing they do when they wake up. And when you encounter social media, if you're not careful, here is the ideology that you are faced with each and every day. You're either faced with with lust and sexuality, you're faced with envy, being jealous of seeing other people in their lives, or feeling insecure, feeling like you don't measure up when you look at other people's curated lives on social media. And then you start to think that you're a lesser person than the true child of God that you are. Maybe you, you continue on your morning routine catching up on the news or a podcast. And anytime you face the news, know this. You are interacting with a biased source that creates caricatures of the other side to produce tribalism and division. And so that's something to be on guard for and careful because there's no room for nuance in those conversations. Also, oversaturation of the news can lead to fear-mongering and lead you to not rest in the true sovereignty of God being in control of the universe. And that's all just as you wake up in the morning, okay? (laughs) Okay. Now you go, you shower, you get ready, you get dressed for work, maybe you're listening to music during that time, depending on the lyrics of those songs you're listening to, that is also forming you into the image of something, whether that's the image of Jesus or the image of the world, flesh, and the devil. And then you hop in your car or you begin your walk to school or to work, and you drive by that Dunkin' Donuts or that Starbucks, or that Stone Creek, or that McDonald's for that Egg McMuffin. And these are beautiful gifts in the creation of God, okay? I want to emphasize that. But when we take these gifts to excess and feel like we need that coffee every morning that's overpriced can lead to financial security or even lead to gluttony. So be careful of these beautiful gifts. Maybe as you're driving to work or to this um, to this coffee shop, you are listening on the radio. If you're listening to sports radio, you're gonna hear about the Packers, which will just foster hatred and bitterness in your heart and anger, okay? And I wanna say this very lovingly. Jesus said if you foster hatred or bitterness or anger in your heart, that's gonna lead to murder, so be careful with that one, all right? Maybe you're listening to music again or a podcast. These Things are forming you and forming your mind. What do you do once you arrive at work, right? I speak from my own personal experience working at UPS down in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. I'd arrive into work and I'd interact with my coworkers, and many a times you'd come into work and someone was complaining about something. You'd come into work and someone was complaining about the company, a supervisor, a boss. Maybe a coworker gossiping about another coworker. What do you do as a follower of Jesus? Do you lean into that situation to spread more death and not life giving, or do you speak words of life into those situations? Do you find ways at work to not be faithful to the calling God has placed on your life and to be slothful in some ways and try to distract yourself from your work? What about after you punch that clock? What do you do on your way home? I know what I did is I drive by an Oscars. And you know what's on Oscar's sign, right? Just luring you to come in. That pistachio flavor of the day ice cream custard that I got to go in. So whether you are a fan of Oscars, Leon's, Cop's, Culver's, on the way home, you think that ice cream will be the source of your happiness. But only Jesus can be the true source. Man, I just got real spiritual with ice cream. That's great. You need to maybe on the way home stop at a store. No matter you're stopping at Walmart, Target, Pick and Save. As soon as you walk into those doors, you are confronted with capitalistic strategy to get you to realize and think that you need something that you truly, truly don't. That this thing that you buy will be your source of joy. And I struggle with this even on Amazon Prime days. I find it hard to be a follower of Jesus to live a simplified Christian life of contentment when Amazon Prime throws me, I need this Instapot. I need this furniture. I need this gadget. I need this Star Wars Lego (laughs) that is just new, even though I have two bins of Legos I can put together whenever I want, which is my favorite pandemic activity that I had. What happens after you get home? from your long day of work. The average American watches three hours of TV every single day, and for, it's a safe bet that most of us engage in this practice as well. Whether you are watching Netflix, HBO Max, YouTube, even Disney Plus, if you watch that right up until bed, that'll your mind will stew on those images that you've just watched and that story that was just told to you. And anytime we give ourselves to long exposure of this media, we become desensitized to greed, violence, sexuality, and other sinful behavior that does not align with the vision and world view of Jesus for this world. Be careful. Now the reality, church, is whether we know it or not, We are all being formed into the image of something on a daily basis. John Mark Comer continues in Live No Lies to describe it like this. We're all being formed every minute of every day. We're all becoming someone, intentional or unintentional, conscious or subconscious, deliberate or haphazard. We're all in process of becoming a person. The question isn't, are you becoming somebody? But what are you becoming? Now, I'm not trying to shame you here in this space, okay? What I'm trying is as a a church for us to wake up to this reality that's present in each and every one of our lives. Modern day Christianity throws out very scary ideology like nationalism and critical theory, you name it, that we have to be on guard for. Now I want to be clear. These ideologies and philosophies in our day we do need to be on guard for and be careful that they don't infiltrate us and infiltrate the church, okay? However, I believe that the little habits that we do each and every day are forming us far more than these big boogeyman ideologies and philosophies. We are passively being taken captive by this world and it robs us of the true joy that's found in the gospel. But all hope is not lost, church, okay? That's very bleak, that's a downer. I'm gonna bring us back up a little bit because that's where Paul goes. Look at the end of verse eight, what does he say? Paul focuses on Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus. Why, verse nine, "'For in Jesus the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, "'and you have been filled in him "'who is the head of all rule and authority.'" Our defense, church. Our defense in this day and age is to form or build our lives upon Jesus. Our defense is to form or build our lives upon Jesus. According to Paul, Jesus is, in verse 9, the whole fullness of deity. God in human form, the very creator of this universe, came to rescue us, to save us. Verse 10, Jesus is the one who fills us. Jesus completes us. Jesus us. Makes us whole. Jesus satisfies the deepest longings of our soul. Verse 10 He is the head. Jesus is the head of all rule and authority. He is the commander of this universe. He loves us. He's the one in charge of everything. He's our Savior. He's the supreme being of this universe and the one that we worship. That is true joy, is remembering those truths in our lives. And I need to ask you a serious question, church. If Jesus is the most supreme being in this entire universe, why do we give ourselves in worship to anything lesser? If Jesus is the most supreme being in this entire universe, why do we give ourselves in worship to anything that is less than that? Jesus is better. Let's continue on in our passage. Colossians 2, verse 11. In Jesus also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of the Messiah. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And here we're going to have a place where Paul brings up an illustration to remind us of the gospel, to remind us of who we are in our identity in Jesus. And I'm going to be honest with you. There's a part of this that's a little weird, and there's a part of this that's like a normal practice and rhythm of even us in our church. So I'm going to start with the weird part first. You see what he talks about in verse 11? Circumcision, right? Now, if you do not know what circumcision is, I'll Google it. I'm not going to get into it. You go look at it, do that research on your own. But what it is, is circumcision was this practice that was rooted in the ethnic identity of Israel and the Jewish people. He's targeting this Jewish tradition. When a male child was born that came it was from, of Abrahamic descent, he was circumcised on the eighth day. And this ritual was to represent him, in, his welcoming into the Abrahamic family or the family of God. And this practice was carried on for generations and generations and is even practiced today with Jewish people. Now he connects this idea of circumcision with baptism in verse 12. And so I think what Paul is saying is what circumcision was for the Jew in the Old Testament, baptism became for the believer In Jesus, through the new covenant. And Paul says that through baptism, you've been circumcised. You've been literally cut off from the world and from your sinful nature. So the act of baptism is a symbol of our faith. In which we identify with Jesus, we step in water, we identify with Jesus who died, so we go under the water to say that we die to ourselves and to our sinful nature, and then we are raised to newness of life, identifying with Jesus' resurrection, because I have new life in Jesus, and that old way is left with me, left from me in the water, right? That old way is cut off from me and left in the grave because Jesus died for me. And that's what the act of baptism symbolizes. Now this act of baptism represents our faith in Jesus and displays how we are no longer a part of this world, but we're actually a member of the family of God. So how do these two go together, right? How do baptism and circumcision go together? And I say it lightly, but it's a subject of great debate among faith traditions, even to this day. Some believe as soon as a child is born, they should be baptized, and then they are later confirmed and officially a member of the faith family. Um, that may be an oversimplification, if so I apologize, but we just don't have time to delve into that, that side of the argument. Other traditions, like ours here at Epicos, believe that baptism ought to take place after an individual makes a conscious decision on their own accord to follow Jesus in faith. And we'll be practicing this actually next week where individuals will be baptized on this very platform and we rejoice and we celebrate that they've made this decision to place their faith in Jesus and they are welcomed into the family of God and into our faith community and our family as Epicos Church. We see this modeled throughout scripture. It's it's a formula that's seen in the New Testament where it's belief and then baptism, and it's especially on display in the book of Acts. Now, how does this relate to circumcision, right? So if circumcision equals baptism, it seems like Paul is connecting these two, then should we baptize our babies? And I don't believe so. We notice that in Judaism, circumcision was only for male children, And it was this introductory ritual into the family of God. And that was based on their ethnicity. That was based on being born into this family of Abraham. And it was based on their birth. Now I have children. A four-year-old boy, whose name is Rory, just started pre-K. And a three-year-old girl named Isla, who wishes she started pre-K, right? And I look at them and I ask, okay, are my children a part of God's family? They're my offspring, Jenny. My wife believes in Jesus, placed her faith. I believe in Jesus, placed my faith in him and a part of God's family. Shouldn't my children also be? And As much as I'd love to say yes, I can't get there. As much as I want to say yes, I do not believe that they are because I believe salvation is by grace through faith and placing your trust in Jesus. And my son and daughter, unfortunately, have not made that decision yet. And have not voiced their trust or displayed their trust in Jesus yet. And man, I tell you what, Jenny and I are doing our best to raise our children to follow Jesus. We are trying our best to display, this is what following Jesus looks like. This is the blessing and benefit of following Jesus. This is how you can be at peace and have freedom in Christ. And we are trying to read the Jesus Storybook Bible and let them understand that redemptive history and who they are and how Jesus can fill their needs in their life. And this is what we celebrate when it comes to parent-child dedication. It's putting down that, that, that down payment as a parent and us as a church saying, we're gonna come alongside you as a parent to point that child to Jesus and we're gonna do everything in our power to not detract them from, from Jesus, not detract them from relationship with him, but to actually point them to Jesus as well. And I long for my children to make that faith decision of their own. And whenever they can and however early they make that decision, Jenny and I will be there to celebrate with baptism and through baptism as a representation of that faith in their life to follow Jesus and I look forward to that day. And I'm sure many of you as parents also look forward to that day or even can look back on that day with joy. Now I know that I cannot do justice to this very complicated uh, topic of baptism And you might have questions. I encourage you, please reach out to me or your campus pastor. We'd love to have a conversation with you and just open dialogue about this. But why does Paul go on this tangent, right? It seems out of the ordinary, right? It seems out of left field, it seems crazy. But I believe that Paul is doing something very important here. You see, baptism is this practice in the life of every single believer, and it represents that their faith and trust is in Jesus. It represents that they've been cut off and buried with Jesus, which means that they're cut off from the ideology and thinking of this world and saying that that'll produce life. And then instead, they're raised into newness of life that is in and through Jesus. And goes back to that warning, don't be captivated by this world. Because your life is already hidden with Jesus and already hidden in Christ. So how do we tie up all these loose strands that we have hanging here, right? How do we tie them all up? Well, we have just talked about this idea of baptism. And I believe that baptism is a practice or habit that we as a church practice regularly to remind us of Jesus and the good news of his salvation. I mean, even you making the decision to come here on Sunday morning is a practice or habit that we as a church do to remind us of Jesus and the good news of his salvation. Some of you might go to small group this week and that is a practice or habit that you do to remind yourself of Jesus and the good news of his salvation in your life. Now listen to me here, church. Listen, these habits or practices of ours do not save us they do not save us. If we think that we earn our salvation through these practices, that is not the true gospel. These practices, however, are important because they remind us of the life that we already have in Jesus and they ought to bring us joy in our hearts. I want to close us today with this question. How are you forming your life upon Jesus? We already looked at how the world is forming us each and every day, right? I have personally found if I, not, if I don't introduce two to five practices in my week and in my life that don't intentionally remind me of Jesus, I will begin to forget and be driven by anxiety and worry and I will not be resting in the joy that's found in Jesus. I want to appeal to you, church, if you think That you can come to a worship service once a week for one to two hours and then just let the world have the rest of you, the rest of the week, forming you and changing you. You're a sitting duck. You're going to be captured. Your heart is going to be drawn away from the gospel and the truth that it preaches and proclaims. Now, I don't want you to feel an obligation today, church, okay? I want to invite you into joy. I want to invite you into forming your life around Jesus because it's only in Jesus that we have true life to counteract the way that this world is forming us each and every day. Do we have any plant lovers in the room? Raise your hand if you love plants. Raise them up high. Come on, don't be shy. There's got to be more than those Plant lovers, people that have gardens. I have a plant here. It's an arrow plant. I just grabbed it from my office. Um, And I I really want to be someone that nurtures life and nurtures plant life. I am very driven by the illustration of the Garden of Eden and how that was a place filling with life. And I think that's what we have in Jesus. Um, I have a confession to make, though, in that I just got this plant. That's why it looks so nice, because I have murdered three already this year. And so I feel terrible that these poor plants come into my life and I can't take care of them the way I want to. I don't know if I overwater it, underwater it, don't feed it enough. I don't know. But I think this plant is a great illustration of our faith and a great illustration of the gospel. You see, the gospel is like a seed that's planted within each and every one of us that sprouts and germinates and forms a plant or a tree. And I believe that, that this, this plant, the gospel, our faith is a strong plant it's a plant that's, that's roots are incredibly strong and it's a vibrant plant that does not take much for it to spring into life and to form our each and every day. But just like with this plant and how I'm terrible at nurturing things, right, it's a great illustration for our Christian life. See, with this plant, can I make this thing grow by my sheer effort and will? Could you imagine if I was up here trying to like stretch it out to make it bigger or like glue like leaves and flowers in here to make it look fuller? No. I in my own effort cannot make this thing grow. Within itself, it has all that it needs to grow and to have life and to flourish. And the same is with the gospel. In my own effort and work, I will not make it grow. It has everything it needs to grow. But me as a plant parent, I'm responsible for the environment that I create cultivate for this plant, right? I need to nurture it. I need to give it enough water and not too much. I need to give it food when it needs it. Sometimes I need to repot it. I need to sometimes prune it. I put it by by my, my desk window so that it gets the sunlight it needs, but then in the cold months I'll bring it back in from that window so it doesn't get too cold and start to wither. In the same way as the spiritual practices in our lives that we use to form us, nurture the gospel seed in us. They nurture the gospel plant in us and they allow that that plant to produce fruit in our lives. This week I want to encourage you. Pay attention to those practices that you allow into your life. Maybe even write them down. Take note, is it a practice that cultivates growth in the gospel in your life and your faith? Are they a practice that We'll cultivate withering. We'll cultivate not healthy things for that plant in your life. If you want to even just take a very low bar, the most formative parts of your day are the first thing you do when you wake up and the last thing you do at night. Those things, because during our sleep, our mind takes what we take from the whole day and it dwells on it and they, it shapes and molds us. And then in the morning, we feed that. So the first thing you do when you go to bed and the first thing you do when you wake up, those will, those will shape us. Those will mold us. If you introduce Jesus into those moments in your day, whether that's through scripture reading or listening to the scriptures, listening to, to gospel, uplifting music, journaling, praying with a spouse, you name it, you will see that that has an effect of your mind and allows you to dwell on Jesus the rest of the day. Introduce a practice there. If you want deeper formation, in your study guide, pages 13 through 18, is a whole list of different spiritual practices like Sabbath, fasting, prayer. These things don't save us, but what they do is they draw our hearts and minds and attention to Jesus and who he is in our life. Church, let's not allow ourselves to be captured by this world, but let us be formed in the joy that's found in Jesus. Amen? amen. I'm going to pray for us as we close here. Lord, thank you for your word here today. Thank you for the truth it draws our hearts into. I pray that today as we take your word, that your spirit would use it in our hearts and minds. I pray for all my brothers and sisters here in this room. I ask that you would give them wisdom, as they step out these doors and into their lives, I pray that through the Spirit you would remind them of the truths of the gospel, that you would remind them that they are a child of you, that you would remind them that they have full life in Jesus and nothing in this world that we come in contact with can even come close to that life. I pray if there's anybody under the sound of my voice that has not placed their faith and trust in Jesus, you'd give them the courage this week to have that conversation, a small group leader with myself or a pastor at Epicos or just someone before leaving here today. Lord, I pray, I pray, Father, that you would guide your, your, your sheep, your, your flock here today, this week, as we go out into the world, that we would be equipped for anything that comes our way through the goodness of your, your spirit and your power in, in, at work in our lives. Would I pray these things in Jesus' name?